Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate. Hopefully, doesn't have COVID Thurston. And Charles doesn't know for sure. Thompson, what's up today, man? Oh, well, I, I also hope you don't have the COVID. And what do you mean by not for sure, Thompson? I'm like, I'm not sure about anything. I No, I felt, no, I was mainly on, mainly on COVID. Um, you know, you okay. were really sick in February, like crazy sick. And then, and then I got sick and your, uh, and your girlfriend was sick, not in that order. And then my wife was sick. And then a bunch of other people were, and and it happened to be the same time that this novel virus was working its way around the country, unbeknownst to all of us. And I really thought that maybe we all just had it back then. So I still feel like if you went and took a test and it was like, hey, do you have antibodies? And, and the test would be like, yeah, but I'm not sure, which means that you are a perfect human have, specimen that can survive anything. Do actually. they have talking tests now? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that just came out. They're not legal, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, they exist. You get a test and they say yay or nay. Yeah, they're like, hey, man, um, turns out you got no COVID. Sense. Yeah. No sense yeah. to read results. No, you got to <laughs> say it out loud because if you read the results, well, that would be uh, discriminatory towards blind people. So right. you got to have talking tests also. What if you're deaf? Um, then you also, it's visual as well. It does both. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's not to make light of any. Anyway, this is the Good Morning Liberty podcast. We talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. And we try to put off as many people as we can right at the beginning of the episode. We got to run everyone through a filter before we actually start the episode. And so thanks to everyone who's still here. But we talk life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. And if you guys are uh, anti-death and you are pro-liberty, then this is the podcast for you right here. We're going to talk about what the heck is going on right now because it ain't good. I don't know if you looked around. It's not good. And uh, But we got to find a way out of it. We got to find an actual way to get out of this or at least be the people that are talking about solutions to some of these problems because when they look back in the history books and they say, well, no one knew that this could have been a problem, you're... Your grandchildren's grandchildren can look back and say, you're a liar, sir. And hopefully <laughs> if we don't live in a world where your grandchildren's grandchildren immediately get put on trial and then a gulag because they said that right then, then they'll say there was a podcast called the Good Morning Liberty Podcast that said back in February that if we locked down the whole freaking country, that more people were going to end up dying from that because yes, the virus is very bad, but poverty kills more people than anyone. And they were talking about this the entire year. All right. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in being on the right side of history, then this is the podcast you should be you know listening the to. Worst, you know what the worst disease is throughout all of human history? The worst thing that you can do as a society? It's bad economics. It is. Kills more That's people the, than anyone. Anything. It kills way more people. More people than car wrecks, cancer, diseases, <laughs> parasites. Magoo's already it's, cracking me up. It's bad economics. <laughs> If you, if you want to know why I'm laughing, then you guys want to go on the patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty for as little as $5 a month. You can jump in that Patreon, get in the live group. I'll let you in as long as you you pay your tax beforehand. You can come through the 
Nate Thurston wall that has been devised before you can jump on this live podcast right here. But we can comment back and forth and talk about all these nice things. And you can, you know, you can say completely inappropriate things and we'll laugh at them, but not tell everyone what it was. So. I, got fa- I got a Facebook update for our listeners. I know everybody's dying. Tonight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just created a new one. Good. Good. Yeah. And uh, I'm already up to like, I don't know, 150 something friends. Am I in your top eight? Uh, I don't know. Or is that still just a my thing. friend request? You probably haven't. <laughs> Actually, you know, I think as a joke, I didn't the other day when I saw it. <laughs> you saw um, it and you're like, yeah, I saw yeah, it. I'm not going to do it. I saw that you sent me that and I was like, I'm going to see how long I can go before Charlie starts questioning our friendship. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't. No, I have not. Yeah. We have a lot of mutual friends, though, so I might do it eventually. Which is fine. It's fine <clears throat> yeah. nowadays. Yeah. But, you know, I got into the Patreon group. I paid my um, it cost me a thousand dollars, but it cost <laughs> all of y'all five bucks. That's nothing. Four fifteen like, or thirty. I had to get instant access. Like as soon as I clicked join the group, um, then I I made Nate do it. But that cost me a thousand dollars. It's all about who you know. According, according to his to his check. Well, you pay more, you get bumped there. to the front of the immigration line into our Facebook exactly. page. You know, <laughs> that's how it goes. You pay a little bit more. You work the back channels. You talk to your friends that you have that already live there, and you can find secret ways into the group and and jump the line all the time. And that's what Charlie did today. Exactly. That's 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 a reason to be rich. It, it provides freedom. Um, is freedom. It, it really is that mobility. Hey, guys, go check out Jason Stapleton's book, Nomadic Wealth. Very important idea. Go yeah. check that out for sure. <laughs> did you to be paying in, us. All right. <laughs> did you put in anything about uh, Amy Coney Barrett? No, you know, it was on. It was it was awkwardly on the TV when I was in the doctor's office sitting with about 25 other people, uh, non-socially distanced at all, all of us there to get COVID tests. And we're all just packed into this room. And it was on. They had MSNBC on in the waiting room. And it was just dead silent in there except for this MSNBC commentary about the Supreme Court. And man, was it awkward to sit in there with a bunch of other people don't know what their backgrounds are, don't know what their political beliefs are, and we're all just sitting there being indoctrinated together at the same time. <laughs> it was really weird. I got, I got to tell you, that's all I know is that it, it's it's happening. That's I it. just I find it funny how, you know, they the Democrats are spinning um the Senate, the Congress would rather work on shoving Amy Coney Barrett through the the approval process rather than work on how much more of our money they can spend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Republicans of, don't want to work on the stimulus. They want to work on Supreme Court justices. How dare they? Instead of spending money that doesn't exist, forcefully stolen from our children that might not even exist yet, the Senate Republicans are start, are doing something that's literally lined out in their job in the Constitution. Oh, right. and what's interesting to me? I mean, obviously she clerked for Scalia, and she is a she's an originalist which I like the most out of a judge. And what's interesting is, you know, if you go back and you look through the appointees, at least the most recent ones in the last, let's say, you know, 30, 40 years, it, it tends to be the, I would say it, it tends to be the Democrats who actually nominate, uh, you know, jurists that activists tend to be activists. Yeah. And what's, what kind of strikes me as odd is, um, you know, 
technically conservative or not technically, but technically a, a, just a jurist, but they consider him conservative. John Roberts is the one who upheld Obamacare. So it's not like um, that, that these folks, once they get there, you know what they're going to quote unquote vote for. They're not supposed to do that anyway. They're supposed to interpret the statues, uh, the statutes as written, not the statues. Cause those are coming down, yeah. but the statutes <laughs> that are written, um, they're supposed to interpret them. And in my opinion, they're supposed to interpret them as in their original meaning because words have meaning. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have meaning, what would be the point of the words? I think interpreting based on the original intent of the Constitution itself is definitely number one job for a Supreme Court justice. Uh, writing in your own meaning or acting like it is a living, breathing document that changes, well, then you might as well just not even have a Constitution at all. And we can have an annoying libertarian con- a Constitution conversation about whether or not the the Constitution is a good thing or not, but a justice is supposed to interpret what's in the Constitution. What is the intent uh, of the people who wrote it? Is this constitutional or not? As far as what the, the intent of the Constitution is, uh, word for word, I am also originalist when it comes to that. And you know, from what I can tell, this old Amy Amy Barrett, she's not that bad. I mean. <laughs> I don't. She's not that old either. I haven't had a no. I haven't had a ton of terrible run-ins with uh, practicing Catholics in my life, so I don't know much about that whole thing that they're going to try to make such a big issue. But uh, other other than that, if that is somehow a liability, she seems to be pretty uh, good. She's she at least says the right things about how she's going to interpret the Constitution. She says things that I agree with and how she's going to interpret that. Um, but you know what? I'd rather just not care about that. I'd rather them have less power. I'd rather us not pay attention to every single word that they say. I think I think that would be a lot better. That way, this wouldn't be such a major event you right just, now. You just get rid of it. I'll get rid of it, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to have to... We'll, we'll tag team this article here. But to me, the biggest news of the weekend was this whole lockdown thing from the World Health Organization. And I told, I was talking to Charlie on the phone about it earlier. And I said this, I would consider this to be just politically annoying and something I wanted to rant about and joke around about if this weren't so keen serious. Yeah. That, that's how I, that's how I actually feel about it because this, this is not a joke. This is not just a political argument. This is literally (laughs) lockdowns imposed on people that is going to directly lead to the deaths of a lot of people who don't have coronavirus. And it's a very serious thing that needs talked about. It's perhaps the most egregious removal of our liberties that we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Actually, I think the word perhaps was way, way out of bounds there. It is, in my opinion, the most blatant removal of our liberties that we have seen from the government in my lifetime. Uh, Just blatantly blanket telling people that they can or cannot go into public or they can or cannot open their businesses or can or cannot be around other people or they have to put a certain thing on their face or whatever. By the way, I watched uh, the South Park pandemic special last night because it came on after the vacation movie. And um, it was pretty funny too. Have you seen that? I have not, no. (laughs) 
it was ridiculous. And I'm surprised that TV channels even still air stuff like that. I'm glad mm-hmm. they do because I think it's good to find humor in things. But I mean, look, <laughs> they had they had the schools, of course, uh, they couldn't get the teachers to come work because it was too dangerous. So they replaced them with people who were out of work that needed work. And it was all the police officers. <laughs> <laughs> So they replaced all the teachers with police officers and Token got shot to death in the first class. The first day he got he got shot oh by, the, by the I mean, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is still on TV. I need, but, to, watch, I need to watch that. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> well, I was looking up, you know, because we're going to talk about COVID. And, as, you know, as you mentioned, if it wasn't so serious and such a problem, it would be kind of hilarious. But it's hard. I mean, you know, we can still joke about it because we joke about everything because you should joke Mm -hmm. about everything in life. There's nothing off limits. That's what humor's for. But um, I I saw a video earlier where this doctor was talking about the 99.6% survival rate. Um, And that's interesting (laughs) because I wanted to fact check that. And I, and I did, and I looked up the CDC numbers and um, it turns out that our fatality route uh, fatality rate is down to 0.4%. Mm. Mm. So we have about 30 million people that have been infected and a little over 200,000 deaths. And so you do that math 0.4% fatality rate, 99.6% of people survive the virus. Mm. That's crazy. That's not exactly a great argument for killing this, millions of people all around the world through lockdowns. says, the problem is even a fatality rate of 0.4% can be crippling. If the virus was allowed to spread to everyone in the country, more than 1.3 million people would die. Uh, of course, they got to throw that in there to every single person in the country. Let's let's base all of our decisions off of that. What if every single person in the country gets any disease or virus that we want to talk about right now? Then what would it be? And And let's talk about it. I mean, honestly, we should have a lockdown for the sun and skin cancer kills I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people die from skin cancer and you should not be out in the sun. Although if you don't be out in the sun, you don't get vitamin D. Then you create a vitamin D deficiency, which is really a problem with vitamin D. So we should outlaw that. Yeah. Uh, well, because some people sure have bodies, a lot of it and some people don't. And so there's a really big uh, inequity uh, between yeah. the two. You know, and that's what that's the that's yeah. the problem we're not talking about right now is the vitamin D and inequality in America. <laughs> exactly. We are the most advanced country with vitamin D inequality, the highest I've seen in my lifetime. And that's the real crux of all of our problems. Magoo said the talking point from covid should be that it's mostly non-fatal. So it's <laughs> totally fine. Actually, the, the most people who get this and nothing bad happens. So this is a mostly peaceful virus that's been working its way around the country mm-hmm. so far. But um, <laughs> all right. So, really, like if you if you go 65 and under, it's even it's better than the flu. <laughs> so I, yeah. those aren't my numbers. No, just yeah. the CDC. It just means you Again? don't care about people that, you know, I know someone that got it and they died. So. You obviously are are you're denying the fact that that happened, actually, mm, by saying no. that. I, and again, yeah. I'm not saying don't take it seriously because people who are compromised with, uh, let's say, uh, cancer or high blood pressure or autoimmune diseases or anything like that, they do have a higher chance than, it, let's say, if they got the flu. Yeah. For instance, um, you know, you didn't go see your mom this weekend, mm-hmm. even though you were going to uh, because of a potential 
exposure because she would be at, you know, technically higher risk, right? She um, had pneumonia just a couple months ago because, I right. don't know, it was raining. I'm not sure. Cause it, <laughs> yeah. Because the leaves were changing. Yeah. <laughs> but but at the same time, you have to talk about the data. And God, how many times do I have to say this? Go back and listen to what we were talking about in March and April and just pay attention. Look, wait for the data to come out. And then you can make make an opinion. And we talked about this the entire time, which is what we're going to deep dive into again today, which is at what point do you draw a line and say, okay, we have to make a decision encompassing everything that can affect human beings, not just one particular thing. And if you, if you go too far in one direction, well, then, then what you're trying to avoid, you're just exacerbating on the other side. And the number one killer, as we talked about, is bad economics, is poverty. You know, people not having access to the things that they need. People <clears throat> starving to death around the world, all kinds of things. They're susceptible to other diseases that can easily kill you. I mean, people in third world countries still die of the common cold. All right. So there are so many consequences to the actions that are taken. And the problem is, is that we have devolved, I would say, in an advanced society to a place where we allow politicians and states, let's say, to dictate um, that they know more about what's best for us than we do. And that's a problem. That's a real problem. You can make the decision like I did this this weekend, which was kind of a game time decision. I left uh, one side of my families and found out that I likely had uh, an insane amount of exposure. And I mean, literally, like like 10 people in my family have it right now. And um, so found out that and I was and I was going to go to my mom's and I was like, oh, you know, this doesn't feel right. Uh, this really doesn't feel right for me to maybe have just had really, really strong exposure and then go see my mom who just had pneumonia a couple months ago because her cold got bad and she had it last year too. And so she's had a lot of issues. And so I just decided to, to, to not go. And I made that decision. That's weird. How on you, my own. Weird how you made that decision. That's, Did you call your uh, representative first? No, well, I what I did was I spent a I took out a million dollar loan and I ran a bunch of advertisements on TV uh, so I could try and get enough people in the local area to vote on whether or not it was okay for me to go and see my mom and I was I was sitting in my car waiting on the on those votes to come back I was gonna you know fifty point one percent of the people say it's okay that I'm gonna go and um, and then I was like you know. I heard they got All a lot those of mail. Got lost yeah, in the mail. I was gonna say, dang it. <laughs> you beat me to it. Like, you know, I heard they got a lot of mail and voting up here, so I'm not gonna trust the results of that anyway. So uh, I just made I just made my own decision. Yeah. And, uh, and you're still in your car. I'm still I'm still <laughs> waiting I'm on the votes. Still to come waiting back. on the votes to come back. Okay, yeah. so no, but you can just make your own personal decisions on whether or not you're gonna put other people at risk and let people know so they can make the decision too. Like for instance, I was gonna come to Charlie's today, and I was driving to Charlie's, and I when I got close to his road, I was like, oh crap, COVID. So I called him, and I was like, hey man. There's a good chance I had a lot of exposure this weekend. Likely everything's okay, but there's a chance I'm going to kill all your entire family. And, <laughs> and so, so I, what I did was I let Charlie know and I said, you make the decision. It's me or your family right now. And Charlie <laughs> said, well, 
um, I would rather maybe you just go get a test and we'll make sure and then you'll come over and people can just make that decision. Like you just right. let people know. So uh, anyway, I do have a sign on my door says no COVID allowed, but mm, so I went to the middle to come in anyway. Yeah, we took an extra step yeah. in, in the process. Yeah. And but if I would, if, I don't if, think if we all got it, which we may have already had it, I don't know. Not that I don't think we would, wouldn't survive. It's just, you can make that individual choice to there where you don't want to take that chance. You know, yeah. it's not yeah. like, um, you know, if you just like you have a choice, whether or not you want to jump out of an airplane, if you think the parachute's going to open. Yeah. Or for me, a choice, uh, whether or not I'm going to even going to get on the airplane to go anywhere, right. you know, without being heavily medicated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just got to be heavily medicated. Yeah. Okay. So this is from Yahoo news. We'll tag team this article because it's got some mm. length to it. Love Yahoo. The WHO's leading specialist on COVID-19. This ain't some hack. Now, listen, I will preface. We're doing a lot of prefacing today. Um, we did pull out of the who, not the band, but the organization as far as any of our funding. And we've talked about how we don't just need to go by everything that the who says. And I will still stand by that. And so, for instance, if the who is saying that I should be locked inside my, ho <clears throat> my house and never leave, well, then I'm going to say, well, I shouldn't. I'm not going to sit here and listen to what the who says. If the who says, hey, I don't want to force you to do anything, actually, then I'm going to say, okay. That that sounds it sounds like maybe we should talk about that for a second, because when someone isn't trying to force you to do something, well, that's going to be given a little bit more consideration because there's a I don't know a lack of force behind it. I wonder if they're trying to get their funding back. Yeah, maybe I was thinking that too. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. as I read this article, just think about that. Like, what's the motivation just, behind? He was this? just reading something that Trump sent him to read on his on his webcam. That's <laughs> right. all it was. There's someone with a gun pointed at him. <laughs> okay, so the, the uh, WHO leading specialist on not the ban, the COVID-19 has warned against using lockdowns as a primary means of controlling the virus, stating it could <clears throat> have a dramatic impact on poverty. It could. What? It could. What? It, Nate, you don't have a degree. How did how did you say that six months ago? Mm, I was just, I was uh, doing something known as bullshitting the entire time. I was making it up, actually. You're not I've an epidemiologist. A gynecologist. I'm not a. I'm not an epigynecologist, and I did not read all of the paperwork. But it turns out, you don't have to be a medical expert to not be an idiot. And so when you look, turns out, yeah. And so when you look, oh hey, if we shut down all the production in the entire world and we force everyone to live there and also need to consume things, but not allow anyone to produce anything, then what's going to happen as far as poverty is concerned? Well. It's going to get worse. What do we know when there's more poverty? Well, there's more death from poverty. There's a lot of people in, say, Africa and all these other countries where they are just barely, and a lot of them are not barely getting by, but they are just barely eking through, not starving to death because people around the world had enough money to send them their little $30 care package every single month. Okay, and so when you remove that and you put the rest of the world in poverty because of all the lockdowns, the people who have been living off of the good graces of all the people who had extra money throughout their entire lives are going to be the first people cut out of the equation. And so this is something that's going to happen first is they're not going to benefit from the from the prospering economies that are that are actually working around the world. And not to mention if they do have any production facilities over there, well, we got to shut those down. 
Uh, number one, because those could be dangerous. And number two, because the people that are paying you to produce things aren't able to sell things anyway. So why are they going to keep doing that? So there's a pretty clear way to say, well, you know, if we shut down the whole freaking world, more people are going to die from starvation. And, well, and those, those countries just stuff. need to pass. They just need they need to pass a stimulus package. Yeah, that's, they need to just if they would just print <laughs> some money and give it to their people, then their people would have money. Right. And there's an amazing argument against printing money, by the way. If printing money is the way to solve a problem, I recommend all the countries in Africa just go ahead and print themselves a trillion dollars and hand it out to everyone. Actually, we just print it and give it to them. Yeah. Because it seems to be no problem. Problem solved. Got it. Okay. (laughs) This is going to take a while if we're going to do that between every paragraph. Sorry. sorry. (laughs) No, I mean, it's me. I'm... (laughs) Who Director General Dr. David Nabarro, not David Nabarro. Yeah, he Hmm. is a doctor. Told he's probably a chiropractor or something. Told world <laughs> leaders the organization doesn't advocate lockdowns after previously cautioning that countries should be careful how quickly they reopen after lockdown during the first wave of the coronavirus in March. So hmm. they've already they've already done this a couple of times. One, we're going to do this after every paragraph. They yeah. already uh, no one. We don't need to wear masks. They don't do anything. The, they're pointless when it comes to this. And then they're like. Everyone has to wear a mask. You have to listen to us. We're the who, not the band. Okay. And then they're like, oh, everyone needs to be careful coming out of these lockdowns that are awesome. This is amazing. And now they're like, you know, these lockdowns, I'm, I just got done adding this up on my freaking ledger at home with a pencil, apparently. And it turns out these can end up killing a lot more people than what the coronavirus could. Okay. We in that this is a quote, we in the World Health Organization do not advocate lockdowns as the primary means of control of this virus. So he did say primary means. All right. Now, so when he, did he say this? Uh, this weekend, uh, Saturday or okay. Sunday. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Nabarro, for your hindsight insight. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, Magoose. <laughs> I said, uh, this is Dr. Nabarro, not Navarro. It's a very different, very different guy. Lockdowns. Quote, double world poverty. Who says? That's what they're saying right now. Dr. Nabarro said lockdowns have an intense impact on poor communities, leaving them vulnerable to poverty. You, you don't who say. Who would have guessed? Who, who wouldn't have guessed? Turns out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good article title right there. Who would? Oh, there's a show title right there. Who wouldn't have guessed? Okay. <laughs> I got that. Uh, quote, lockdowns just have one consequence that you must never belittle. And that is making poor people an awful lot poorer, he said. Mm. Uh, Continuing, look what's happening to poverty levels. It seems that we may well have doubling of world poverty by next year. By next year, we might double the world's poverty. We may well have at least a doubling of child malnutrition. By next year, look at all the strides that we made just completely destroying world poverty. When we do this and we're like, oh, we're going to send twice as many people into poverty. I've already seen all the articles talking about how there could be 130 million people involved in the food shortages or, uh, you know, malnutrition. All of that next year could be doubling. And guess what? A percentage of those people are going to die. A percentage of them are going to die. And mm-hmm. that could be in the millions, in the millions of people from these lockdowns. A percentage of those people are dying. Yeah, they right are. Now. Right now, there's someone listening to this podcast agreeing, yes, I need food. I'm dying. Okay, and I'm sorry. We argued against this. Okay, we we heavily argued against this, and I signed up to send my care package 
over to Africa. So don't you put that evil on me. Okay. <laughs> uh, why don't you continue? We'll have to tag team this thing. Nabarro added. He's, he is, so Dr. Nabarro added that countries who rely on tourism are particularly impacted by tight restrictions. Quote, just look at what's happened to the tour, uh, tourism industry in the Caribbean, for example, <laughs> or in the Pacific, because people aren't taking their holidays. This is just an all of like, who told you so? <laughs> Dax Lee said, those, <laughs> Dax said, these are rookie numbers in this racket. You got to pump those up. <laughs> <laughs> the comments are an extraordinarily backflip on advice given by who Director General Dr. Tedros Adhanominan. Gabriel I see why you wanted me to take over here. Um, in March, advising countries to ease out of lockdown slowly, proven there's still much to be learned handling the ever-changing pandemic. Dr. Tedros said that during lockdown, countries need to introduce measures such as expanding training in the health sector and speed up testing before considering ending lockdown. Quote, these measures are the best way to suppress and stop transmission so that when restrictions are lifted, the coronavirus doesn't resurge. Quote, the last thing any country needs is to open schools and businesses only to be forced to close them again because of a resurgence, Dr. Tedros said at a press conference at the time. But Dr. DeBarro seemed to echo the advice. However, he reiterated lockdown should be considered as a last resort. Quote, the only time we believe a lockdown is justified is to buy you time to reorganize, regroup, rebalance your resources, protect your health workers who are exhausted. But by and large, we'd rather not do it, he said. And this was, you know, at the very beginning, it was the whole thing of like, you know, give us two weeks, two weeks to flatten 15 the curve. Days to 15 slow the spread. days, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. And then, then everybody wanted <laughs> lockdown and stimulus money. It's just, it's just, it, as you mentioned, this would be hilarious if millions of people weren't going to die from poverty, but yeah, this whole time, it's like, this is what we've, this is what we've been talking about. This is exactly what we've been talking about with this whole pandemic. <clears throat> the contradicting advice from who comes as a number of infectious disease epidemiologists and public health scientists call for an end to lockdowns, creating a petition called the Great Barrington Declaration. The petition reads, quote, current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long term public health. Wow. Mm. It's just, you know, I hate to call it confirmation bias. I know. It's just confirmation. <laughs> the declaration claims current lockdown policies lower childhood vaccination rates, worsen cardiovascular disease outcomes, produce fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorate mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come. <sighs> read that again. The declaration claims current lockdown policies lower childhood vaccination rates, worsen cardiovascular disease outcomes, Produce fewer cancer screenings and deteriorate mental health, leading to greater excess mortality in years to come. Leading to greater excess mortality in years to come. Mm. There are many ways humans mm. die, folks. There's all sorts of, and we're against death. Totally against it. I am one. Of, I've been, I was. I was out picketing earlier this morning <laughs> uh, with my sign that no said. More death. No, yeah, vote no to death. And uh, Chuck doesn't support death. Vote no on proposition death. Exactly. All my death checks were no. You know, the issue is that people people aren't thinking that the, about the fact that this is a multifaceted, multivariate problem here. That 
you can do everything you can to stop one specific thing. And this is what we've been talking about the whole time, that you decided there's this one specific thing that no one can die from. And if anyone dies from it, well, then that's too many. And when you mm-hmm. live in a world where there are already hundreds of thousands of millions of people dying all every single year from all kinds of other causes of death, and we don't... Charlie, you already said we're anti-death, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you got. Charlie said that we're anti-death, so I'll, I'll echo that statement. But you can do whatever you want to stop one specific thing. And if you want to use an extreme example, we'll outlaw driving. We'll we will jackhammer up all the all the roads. We'll we'll blow up all the cars, and then no one is going to die in a car wreck ever again. And we fix that problem. And isn't that just great? But then there's other things that pop up from that. Or if you just tackle one virus and you say destroy the world's economy, leading to all types of other health problems, you got to pay attention. You, you're killing, you're trying to plug one leak and a bunch of other ones spring up. But you're, you're going to wave a flag and, and, and talk about how great you are because you got that one leak plugged up. And meanwhile, the boat's still freaking going down. Yeah, It doesn't make any sense, man. Yeah. And that's what, you know, what I was talking about the whole time is, is the Corona, let's say the coronavirus task force, like it should have included in, you know, economics experts, like more experts than just, uh, let's say, uh, you know, infectious disease and epidemiologists, you know, we should have included people. And this is, I was having conversations with a, a good friend of mine. Um, actually his dad, his dad and I are really good friends. That's what I was having conversations with him about. It's like, look, there are multiple things that affect the the health of human beings. I mean, Jesus, the earth has been trying to kill us. I just saw a TikTok video earlier where this guy was being chased by a mountain cougar. And, uh, you know, maybe they should outlaw hunting so you don't run into mountain cougars and possibly die from the cougar. Well, okay, I, then things will claw you up to death, man. Let's see if we have the support for that in the ballot box. We'll see. <laughs> and, yeah, I vote I vote yeah. no to mountain cougar deaths too. Yeah. yeah. But but look, there's all kinds of things that can kill you. And you can't as you said focus on one particular thing that is driven mostly out of fear because we didn't know what was what it was. And we should have waited <clears throat> till we had the data and could have projected the data properly so that we could make informed decisions. And really, they should just present the data to the people and be like, what do you want to do? And the people who want to keep their stuff open, keep it open. The ones who want to shut down, shut down. The only That's thing that's that, great about freedom. Yeah. The only thing you could have ever done was make this more on a local level. And I still wouldn't have gotten behind people forcing other people to not do anything. But if you wanted to try and make this make a little bit more sense and in a thing that doesn't make a lot of sense, you could say, well, your local area has this many hospitals and this is their capacity and this is how full they actually are right now. Not the amount of beds that the government allows them to have, but this is how full they actually are. And this is what their staff is. And and here's our projection on um, if the current rate continues for the next uh, month or two, well, then they're going to be they're going to be too full and they won't be able to help anyone. And so then the local area if they wanted to make it make more sense. And I would not like the decision still, but the local area could say, well, local area, we're going to shut down all the stuff because we've only got these two hospitals and they're almost completely full. And so we're going to have to shut down for a couple of weeks so the hospitals can catch up. 
And so the hospitals can heal up some people and get them out of their beds and make room for, for new people. And then we're going to reopen everything if you wanted to make it make more sense. But on the national level, but Nate, they built a five hundred million dollar makeshift hospital in New York that they didn't even use. No, I know. I'm not saying I agree I with it. I'm 19, saying if you like want to make it more patients, sense. <laughs> 19 patients were admitted there. They're they're just, you know, insane. if there are some areas where the hospitals are overran. You, well, not only that, would we have un- overran hospitals if we actually had a free market healthcare system? I bet not. No, 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 probably not. If we didn't have to I wait, not. if we didn't have to wait for an act of Congress to build more medical facilities. No, I, I don't think we would. I really don't think we would. So that's problem number 40,000. Yeah. I'm going to, Todd said something here. I'm going to change your, uh, your percentage, Todd. But Todd said people die of COVID 0.4% of the time, every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that's what the people who are fear mongering about this virus are saying. Point four percent of the time, people die of COVID every time. Every time, every time, it's illegal in four states. <laughs> All right, let me finish this up here real quick. He said, "Keeping these measures in place until a vaccine is available will cause irreparable damage, with the underprivileged disproportionately harmed." The declaration explains. The petition calls for a compassionate approach. Of course. Everything's solved yeah. now. And mm-hmm. it's like, look, guys, what kind of approach do we need? Oh, I know. I know. Compassion. Ooh. Compassionate. I'm sorry approach. your answer was wrong. It was empathetic. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> Called yeah. focused protection, which the health experts involved claim will protect the vulnerable and allow those at minimal risk of death to live their lives normally to build up immunity to the virus through natural infection. God. <sighs> the petition so far has received. Otherwise known as herd immunity. Like that's, that's another, <clears throat> which is yeah. what's, what's hilarious is Sweden's numbers continue to decline while the rest of the European union is seeing a spike in cases. Yeah. And all you America. see, I got a thing from the New York times this morning talking about how the, basically this whole idea that Sweden has been a success is a lie because their mortality rate is, is a uh, way higher than everywhere else. And they say that and they say, well, their mortality rates higher than Denmark and, and, uh, the other Scandinavian countries, Finland and and all that. And then they put a chart on there. And of course, Sweden's like number eight down the list with the, with Italy and, and, you know, England, all these other countries above them that also did lockdowns and, and things like that. Um, But they're, you know, the whole idea of herd immunity, if you're going to do that is yes, you're going to have a higher amount of people initially get infected and die. And that is sad and that's terrible. And I wish viruses didn't exist. I will get with you for a petition to vote to outlaw viruses. And that is completely fine. And we'll get uh, McAfee on this to create the best antivirus for the American people that we've ever seen as soon as he gets mm-hmm. out of prison. Mm-hmm. And we will we will work on that. But then viruses have in, is, um, invisibility mm-hmm. cloaks. <laughs> they do. We'll get you're naked and you look at them with your eye, you can't see them. We'll get everyone their own VPN to live on, and uh, and they'll be completely safe from all this. But no, if you want to vote on never having any viruses, then then that's completely fine. But I don't know. There's a really important thing. What they're talking about is a compassionate acro- approach and focused protection. What they're basically talking about is what a lot of people have been saying, which is the people who are the most vulnerable, well, we need to be considering what the measures are for them. Say if you're over 50 or 60 years old, if you have... A high if you've got comorbidities, um, which I won't say any percentages about those because I don't want to get in trouble and get knocked off of Facebook or anything like that. But if you've got a lot of comorbidities, 
that uh, that that lead to you being more likely. That well, we'll talk about what the approach is for that. But for all the other uh, young, healthy people who have like a ninety-nine point nine percent survival rate on this thing, well, maybe we're just gonna have to 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 get the damn thing so we can actually stop it from spreading around everywhere. This is not some crazy right-wing extremist idea, by the way. There's science backing this up. Mm-hmm. Now you want to listen to the science. And they got scientists backing them up. Yeah, there's a whole room of people just thinking more science up. Okay, <laughs> but this this whole idea is not just some kind of white white right wing conspiracy theory. Okay, there's a little bit of science behind it. The problem is you're supposed to listen to the science only when it backs the policy proposals that you feel you want to impose on people. You don't want to listen to science when it has anything else to do with that. But you know, yeah, Wes the, wants to know if we should go ahead and start a NAP vaccine for the next novel virus. And I, that's not far enough, Wes. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a vaccine for anti-death. Yeah. Okay. So until we have a vaccine that cures death, um, I'm not sure there's much we can do. No. I mean, uh, I'm totally about We should just go ahead and cure death. That petition, by the way, that they're circulating around to different doctors and all those kinds of people has got 12,000 signatures. So far. Remember all the other doctors that came out and were like, ah, we don't think this one's that bad and, and whatever. Those were all hoax people. Well, yeah, those the that that petition was discounted because a a right wing organization paid for that petition to be floated around to people and get signatures. So therefore, the entire thing was was false, as if people on the left had never paid anyone to go around and get petition signatures for anything before. <laughs> like that's never happened in all right. humanity. That's never happened before. Yeah. So uh, attaching onto this is another thing just to attach onto it for this entire conversation. This is from the Atlantic, heavily left wing commie paper. OK, just <laughs> way out there in Gulag territory. Okay, this is where they this is from the gulag offices themselves. But they Tommy propagandists. They admitted something and they they used data to back it up and they kept talking about it because they know their readers are going to be real pissed about this and they kept they kept prefacing, they kept dis, disclaimering all over the time all all over the place all the time. Disclaimering. Disclaimering all over everyone and they they said, "Listen, we just simply looked at hundreds of thousands of of people and and we came up with what the data is on this. So based on that data, this is what I have to say. And man, that'd be great if you would get that more often. So it says uh, in early August, the first kids in America went back to school during you, the pandemic. You do the title? Because yeah. I think it's good. Schools aren't super spreaders. So this whole idea, by the way, New York's closing schools down again. Bunch of places still going back and forth. So this is from the Atlantic. In early August, the first kids in America went back to school during the pandemic. Many of these openings happened in areas where cases were high or growing. In Georgia, Indiana, Florida, parents, teachers, and scientists feared what might happen next. The New York Times reported that in parts of Georgia, a school of 1,000 kids could expect to see 20 or 30 people arrive with COVID during week one. Many assumed that school infections would balloon and spread outward to the broader community, triggering new waves. On social media, people shared pictures of high schools with crowded hallways and no masking, as if to say, I told you so. Fear and and bad press slowed down or canceled school reopenings elsewhere. Many large urban urban school districts chose not to reopen for in-person instruction, even in places with relatively low positivity rates. Chicago, L.A., Houston, all remote, uh, all, all going to school on remote so far. So they said it's it's now October 
and we're starting to get evidence-based picture of how school reopenings and remote learning are going. Since early last month, this is the writer saying, I've been working with a group of data scientists at the technology company Qualtrics, Qualtrics, all as well as with school principal and superintendent associations to collect data on COVID-19 in schools. Our data on almost 200,000 kids in 47 states from the last two weeks of September revealed an infection rate of 0.13% among students and 0.24% among staff. So that is about 1.3 infections over two weeks in a school that has 1,000 kids or 2.2 infections over two weeks in a group of 1,000 staff. Even in high-risk areas of the country, the student rates were well under half a percent. Mm. These numbers are not zero. So continuing on, these numbers are not zero, which for some people means the numbers are not good enough. But zero was never a realistic expectation. Oh, man, weird. It's almost like you can't just decide that one thing's never going to exist anymore. <laughs> We know that children can get COVID-19, even if they do tend to have less serious cases. Even if there were no spread in schools, we'd see some cases because students and teachers can contract a disease off campus. But the numbers are small, smaller than what many had forecasted. That seems to be a, a growing trend there. Yeah. Smaller than what many had forecasted. It's weird. Like forecasting models being insanely wrong seems to be the only thing that you can forecast into the future. <laughs> That's really it. <laughs> Predictions about school openings hurting the broader community seem to have been overblown as well. In places such as Florida, prelimin preliminary data haven't shown big community spikes as a result of school openings. Rates in Georgia have continued to decline over the past month. And although absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, <laughs> I've read many stories about outbreaks at universities and vanishingly few about outbreaks at the K-12 level. One might argue again that any risk is too great and that schools must be completely safe before local governments move to reopen them again. Well, then, then they should not yeah. open until we cure the flu. Yeah. The flu is way worse for kids. Or any type of death. How about um, accidents on the way to school? Okay. Yeah. How about how about uh, bus accidents? Bus accidents. Thank you. How about, about something like that? Why don't we cure that? And until... We know for sure that no students are put at risk for going to school. Then we can't have school. But this no. approach ignores it's outlaw uh, bullying too. We that, those people are mean. I don't know why they didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah. but this approach Making ignores illegal signs to say no bullying allowed. Mm. That solves that problem. We could show the start a nonprofit organization that prints those signs and puts them out at schools to solve bullying. There we go. The enormous cost to children from closed schools. <laughs> the spring interruption of schooling already resulted in learning losses. Um, Alec McGillis's haunting piece in the New Yorker and ProPublica highlights the plight of one child unable to attend school in one location, but it's a marker for more. The children affected by school closures are disproportionately low-income students of color. So this is why they're talking what? about this, by the way. Because as we go further into the article, what we're going to be talking about is that the school closures are hurting predominantly low-income students, students of color, and parents who are more low income because they have to find some kind of way to take care of their kids all day. And turns out school was a pretty effective daycare. That actually might've been the most bang for your buck that we ever got out of the public schooling system was the fact that it was a daycare center for your kids mm -hmm. because people would have to pay for that. So that I think that's actually the, the highest value transfer that we've actually gotten from the department of education. 
Uh, the children affected by school closures, I always said that, schools are already unequal. <laughs> the unequal closures make them more so. Virtual school is available, but attendance levels are not up to par. Pediatricians have linked remote schooling to toxic stress. So parents are struggling as well, not just children. Cities have recognized the need for childcare for parents who cannot afford to quit their jobs to supervise their kids. But this has led to a haphazard network of options. Houston, for example, has opened some schools as learning centers. LA has learned has learning centers set up for low-income students in alternative locations. These spur the questions. If school isn't safe for everyone, why is it safe for low-income students? And if school is safe for low-income students, why isn't it safe for everyone? Hmm. So some great questions there. Some some pretty decent <laughs> some some pretty decent questions, I would say. So all yeah. we're going here is, um, you know, uh, the panic and the fear from earlier this year. Let's come up with something that rhymes the next time. Um, gives us no reason near? to cheer when all of these deaths draw near. So <laughs> this is not a... <laughs> Welcome to my stanza. <laughs> this is... Um, what we're finding is that all these projections and these models of schools being massive hotspots, being super spreading events for the entire community, even uh, the stories about the teacher who contracted the virus and mm -hmm. died. Even someone that teacher like I'm, the like, the the Atlantic is pure commieism all the time. Like that's all they are, and they're even putting this out, saying that it's okay. It's okay. You know what? The government runs the schools, so it's safe. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, and, and they mentioned a great thing. Like we talk about inequality. It's like the, these very same measures, all it does is, is, you know, deepen the divide because the people who are, when, when the economy goes bad, the people who are most affected by a bad economy are going to be the lower income, poorer people. It's going to be worse for them because the people who are rich, well, they're fine. They're rich. Right? <laughs> so the lack of productivity uh, doesn't mean much to them, but if you're poor and you're, maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck or almost paycheck to paycheck, well, you stop getting that paycheck. Well, then you've, you only got two weeks and then you're disproportionately affected. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> and you don't want to be disproportionately affected. Right. Okay. <laughs> I am against disproportionate effectiveness. That's what we should outlaw. Actually. Can't believe Congress isn't working on that. Uh, all so, right. Man, you know, I hate to say we were right. No, I don't. No, <laughs> no, you don't hate that. Just, no. Just go back and listen, folks. Let's, you know, and if you have friends that aren't listening, go tell them. Go tell them where to go. Just because, see, Charlie, I wanted to be wrong about this. Yeah. I did. I wanted to be wrong. You called me late at night not that long ago, and you're you're like, Charlie, really hope I'm wrong. I vote. I mean, 2020. You were even crying. <laughs> 2020 has been a year of me hoping I'm wrong about things. And mm -hmm. man, was I wrong to ever think that could happen. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's, that's what you were wrong about. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing I was wrong about was that I could have been wrong this year. All right. <laughs> but you don't want to be right about this because what do we write about? We're right that we're locking down the entire economy and that it's going to lead to massive poverty and millions of people starving to death or dying from all types of other illnesses that they would not have otherwise died from. It's going to lead to kids not getting proper education from systems where they already weren't getting proper education, but they're not even going to be getting 
the shitty education they've been getting beforehand. And and so now we're getting now we're setting entire generations of people back further than the government was already doing. And I wanted mm-hmm. to be really wrong about all of that. I wanted to I you know what I wanted was we did the lockdowns and then all of a sudden no one else got coronavirus and it was gone. And then we were able to to come back from it. And we uh, we didn't need to worry about the schools or we locked down the schools because this one school opened and everyone died. And so so we know that we weren't going to do that. And everyone embraced online learning and they did a great job. Um, I wanted to be wrong about how all this stuff was going to go because the alternative was being right about the fact that millions of people were going to die when they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a crappy thing to be right about, but it's very serious and we're not the only people that talked about this. Everyone on everyone in the libertarian sphere has been saying stuff like this, although not quite so eloquently as we have, but they <laughs> everyone has been talking about this mostly. And, and mostly everyone and a lot of people on the right also have been talking about this and a couple on the left I heard one time they put him in the gulags immediately. But um <laughs> some people have mentioned that. And you reached out to him for comment and haven't heard back. Yeah. <laughs> but um his Facebook account got shut down, you know. Yeah. Um, this is something that it didn't take a medical degree to see. Uh, this takes having just a, I don't even want to say common sense. Uh, it, it took willingness to consider all of the alternatives, all of the incentives, and all of the possibilities, and not just focus on one of them. And, and it, t- it takes a look at what affects human beings as a whole. Yeah. And so... You know, you know, kudos to medical experts. They're great. They, they're really good at their jobs. They're really good at their jobs. That's the thing. So you have to take multiple fields of study into, into consideration when you're, when you're implementing drastic measures that can have unlimited dire consequences. Even the first time Rand Paul and Fauci went at it, um, doctors Paul and Fauci were, were sparring and Fauci said that, you know, I'm an epidemiologist. Like he's not making decisions based on the economic consequences of things. He's talking about, okay, if you want to stop this virus and you want to make sure no one dies of one specific cause of death out of millions of different causes of deaths, well, then this is what you would do to stop that cause of death. And he said flat out, with no consideration for economic implications or or any of the other things that could come from that. I'm talking about this one single thing. Right. And now he didn't say it in those exact words, but that is, that's what he said. And that's the problem. You just listen to one person and they say, how do you get rid of coronavirus? And they're like, well, you make sure no one ever leaves their houses again, ever again. And they can't buy anything and no one can sell anything. And that's it. And you're like, oh, well, well that's how we fix this problem is you do that right there. And then the economist is like, um, hold on a sec, guys. This could have other bad effects. Well, what you're talking about doesn't completely alleviate the problem of coronavirus, sir. So we cannot listen to what you have to say. And you obviously hate people. Um, you, you hate people. You want yeah. them to die of the coronavirus. Yeah. So uh, Todd said, how does hatred for Trump figure in the the opinions on COVID? I think very heavily. Um I think another pre- if another president were in control right now, if if Clinton were in control and Clinton did the exact same things without some of the dumb tweets, but she did the exact same things, I think 
uh, we have a completely different world that we're living in as far as the media narrative. I think everyone's talking about how she saved 1.8 million people because the projections were that there were going to be 2 million people die. That means she saved the lives of 1.8 million people with the specific things that she did. And, you know, she was willing to sacrifice the economy for a little bit, but she didn't want to destroy the whole economy. And she knew that 50% of America have money in the stock market and she cares about your retirement accounts and didn't want to crash the entire stock market. And so she just did everything uh, to the best of her ability. And the people that die, well, that really sucks that that happened. Um, but you know what? People die and way more people would have died if she wouldn't have done those exact things. And I think that's exactly where we'd be living right now if she did, if all of the exact policies happened with a different I president. I actually disagree, but I disagree for another reason. Okay. The reason I disagree is because I believe that this would have been treated like the H1N1 that during Obama's presidency. Like ignored? <laughs> well, yeah. it, we would, it wouldn't have been fear mongered. Yeah. You know, the media wouldn't have, we, there wouldn't have been a coronavirus task force. It would have been just kind of business as usual with, um, with information going out to old people <laughs> for the risk. That's what. That's what it would have. Um, Jeff said Clinton would have offed COVID long ago. <laughs> <laughs> COVID didn't kill itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, That's what good. would happen if it was Clinton. That's what I was trying to go with. That's where I was going with <laughs> Sorry, it. Sorry I interrupted you with that. I just read that. And- no, I was just saying I, I really think it would have been treated like H1N1 because, you know, H1N1 had more infections. Um I don't think it had more deaths, but it had more infections. And they, I remember them talking about it, you know, the bird flu, right? It came up, there was swine flu and all of that. Um, but it didn't have the same economic impact because it wasn't, it didn't dominate everything. So they've been uh, mentioning a lot of people on the right. And I think, I mean, I think it was mentioned in the vice presidential debate. Um, Mike Pence said that basically, uh, they got lucky under the Obama administration because they allowed was it, 60 million people ended up with H1N1, but they, they got lucky that it didn't have the even the mortality rate that the even the normal flu did or or coronavirus. But they still allowed the same spread, more spread even. Yeah. Didn't shut down anything. Right. And and they, I think that that's a it's a pretty good point. It's difficult to compare because they are two different viruses that have different mortality rates and, and all that. But yeah, I think. I, and the I, other thing is as if, as if any president actually has control on the spread of a virus. Yeah. I mean, seriously, like he's out, you know, he's out there directing them on Twitter. They're like, um, you go infect these people. Yep. Yep. <laughs> not those people. Like how, like how in the world can a human being actually control the spread of a virus. Now, what we're really, you know, the, I think the biggest thing about this is the fact that the government has the power to shut down our production like it does anyway, which is in and of itself insanity that we would allow that to happen. Um, I, you need more people like Elon Musk who are literally just going to tweet, hey, guys, we're reopening tomorrow. And if you want to arrest anyone, then come there and arrest me. Right. And that's okay. what that's what everyone needed to do. Right. Uh, because you, they only have the power if if you decide that they have that power, as we're seeing with massive protests and things all over the country. If enough people decide that the government doesn't have the power to do something, they're not going to do anything. There's mm-hmm. a lot more people than there are uh, enforcement officers for the government in, in whatever shape or form they're in. 
And if enough people decide, no, we're not going to shut down, we're just not not going to do it, then uh, then maybe we'd be looking really different. A lot of people were as cool as Elon Musk. But I don't know, man. Anyway, we're uh, we're coming up on an hour here. So want to cover this last one real quick? Um, sure, sure. If you want to. You want to run through it? Do you want me to run through it? Yeah, we'll run through this one quickly because I just find it hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. We'll end on a yeah. we'll end on a more funny note. Um, socialist theme vegan meat company learns Marxism works better in theory than practice. This is coming from Fee, which is a great place. Go to fee.org. Get your some learning done over there. So with products like Comrade Cluck, a plant meat, not actual chicken, No Evil Foods had success casting itself as a revolutionary food company that embodies progressive values. But the company is learning marketing progressive ideas is easier than implementing socialist-style economics. For months, company leaders have been resisting a union a unionization effort by workers in their Weaverville, North Carolina plant. Quote, I sincerely believe that right now a union would be a terrible thing for you and for No Evil Foods. Mike Walanowski, the co-founder and CEO of No Evil Foods, <laughs> told his employees earlier this year. <laughs> It'd be a terrible life. Now we donate to other unions. Yeah. But it would be terrible. We think every other business should be forced into unionizing. And if they, and if they reject that or they fire people, well then, then they should be prosecuted. You know, <laughs> look at the, was it the Barstool sports guy that got, you know, got kind of famous or in hot water there for a minute because of what was going on with the unionization effort with him. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, it was threatening to fire people if they unionized. Navy Day Trader Global. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what his actual yeah. name is. He continues on. You could get the same thing you currently have. You could get less than you currently have. I don't think you need a union voice here. Walanowski's <laughs> words apparently had an impact. The unionization effort at Noble Foods, a vegan food uh, foods brand whose foods can be found in more than 5,000 retail stores, lost on February 13th. Employees voted 43 to 15 against unionizing, but the battle wasn't over. Two of the union organizers were later fired, allegedly for violating social distancing and dress policies. Earlier this month, Vice News reported that the National Labor Relations Board issued a federal complaint saying the claim that the employees were unlawfully terminated had merit, saying No Evil Foods fired the workers because they assisted a union and circulated a petition seeking hazard pay for the purposes of mutual aid and protection. No Evil Foods denied the firings were retaliatory. Workers disagreed, saying the company was not truly progressive. This is the snake eating itself here. That's, uh, you just love to see it. We need to take out this leader and install a new leader that's going to be perfect. No, right. that's what we need to do. They're pretending they're allies of leftist causes. John Reynolds, an ex-employee of No Legal Foods, who is one of the fired workers, told Jacobin. I don't know who Jacobin is, but it's, that's what they told him. If you go through this whole unionization effort, it's just crazy. The, I don't know, the... The, the arrogance and entitlement that must go with starting a company that's, you know, just literally socialist or communist or whatever. I mean, the pl- they have the food items called Comrade Cluck. <laughs> you know, they're socialist, at least, food company called No Evil Foods. And what they're saying to the, to the people to get them to not unionize is just hilarious to me. They're saying that, you know, this isn't really going to help you guys. Notice the two options they gave them. You could get the same that you currently have, or you could get less than you currently have. Mm-hmm. Those are your two options. It would okay. cost everyone more money. It's going to cost everyone more money. One of the options from unionizing that the guy gave them was not that they would get more than what they have right now. 
which which was really funny. He just said, you're going to get the same or less. And then they ended up voting away from it. And they that's essentially them saying, our business is not in the financial standing to support unionizing right now. And it would actually be really bad for a bunch of the workers if we unionized. And they decide that that's okay for them. But, but what they also want is for every other business other than theirs to have all unionized employees. Right. <laughs> because it's just their business who can't support having a union. The, all the other ones can't. You know, it's yeah. nuts. It's, it's absolutely insane. And they're learning this lesson the hard way because it, it just, it doesn't work in practice. It no. just doesn't. So we'll end with, uh, we'll end with this tweet actually, that's going to, it's going to have to make dumb bleep of the week, Nate. It is. Friday. It's tagged in there. Yeah. Okay. So this is from, uh, Eric, Eric Boehm, 87. Um, he says, I kind of hate this meme, but this is too perfect. Vox came out with an article. Uh, this was in September 11th, 2019. It said gig workers win in California is a victory for workers everywhere. And then CNBC came out with an article three, uh, four months later in December 16th, 2019, that says Vox media to cut hundreds of freelance jobs ahead of changes in California gig economy laws. (laughs) (laughs) This is terrible that people are out of work. I'm, I feel bad for the people losing their incomes, but <laughs> damn it. If you just didn't see it coming, <laughs> Oh man, it's just going to hit you like a, I don't sock full of birds. It's going to hit you like a ton of feathers, man. Yep. Oh, that's, that's a big bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, <laughs> if you are interested in learning how to day trade, go to mastermystonks.com. We're going live every single morning talking about the stocks that are gapped up the most. That means that they are, good today what's up literally apple was straight up almost all day man i got rid of them too early and i went over to DraftKings. i did well on both of them but it does seem like uh maybe i just could have stayed in apple but it's still fine it's still fine it's still okay um so anyway uh i got uh, i don't know where you're at on them i was up 70 percent on apple and i made 40 percent on DraftKings after that i should have just stayed in apple i guess nice but Anyway, you can go to mastermystonks.com if you want to learn how to start reading charts, if you want to learn all the ins and outs of the stock market, the stock market, sorry. And you can start day trading, swing trading, doing some long-term investment, or just know what's going on. You can just look and just know what's going Mm -hmm. on at the charts. Like random things that you don't even have to know, but you can impress people with. Like when we're in this massive economic crash and I randomly call the bottom of the market by 200 points, Okay. That was just from the little bit of knowledge of knowing support and resistance that you can apply to looking at the stock charts. So impress your friends and your family by at least being able to say stuff like that. All right. You didn't have a crystal magic eight ball or nothing. No, I did not have a, a, uh, I didn't have any crystal to, to, uh, to make that prediction. Okay. Yeah. Just a little bit of support and resistance knowledge. That's really all it took. So anyway, you can go to mastermindstonks.com, sign up, start learning every single thing that there is to know about the stock market, man. We got a lot of new stuff in the works, so much new stuff that it's taken a little bit to put it all together, but holy Lord, is it a lot of stuff that's going to be going up on that website. So you want to you want to get in now. Now's a good time to buy because the value is about to increase exponentially. All right. The price is going to have to go up. So that right now you get the option to jump in at the current uh, strike price that is represented on the 
on on the class. Anyway, <laughs> I'll stop talking about that. Also, sign up for Patreon, guys. I told you about the live group. Get in, get your voices heard, be mentioned on the show if you want to, if your comment's good enough. We sift through. Well, there's lots of good ones, actually. We don't have time to get to all of them. But if they're if they really stand out, then they get mentioned. So if you want to be part of that, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty, patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. I am back in the group after a short forced hiatus. And so um, it's it's a lot of fun in there. All the guys and gals we got going on in here, the the conversation's fantastic. You want to get in on the live group. Plus, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Support Liberty, and it's only five bucks a month. You can pay more if you want. We have other tiers available as well, but only five bucks a month to get you into the live group. So sign up, patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. That's patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. And please continue to share the show with a friend. The audience size just keeps climbing. And uh, in fact, if I refresh it right now, did it go up? Let's see. Yep. It went up. (laughs) Yeah, literally. Seven more. But that was from, I don't know, maybe an hour ago. So seven every hour. It's even more than what we thought. Our our old platform was lying to us, which Mm -hmm. is great because we were already seeing the numbers increase at a crazy rate. And turns out it's at least double the amount that we even thought it was. Yeah, we're up two hundred percent. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, again, please continue to share the show with a friend, guys. Leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. And uh, we have that new series coming up pretty soon. I don't know the hard release date. Nate's hard at work, but we've already had a few interviews. We've got some more scheduled this week, so it's going to be really, really cool uh, for you guys to hear those stories on that new special. This Sunday got. will be the first one, and the people in the Patreon group are going to get it. Probably Friday night or Saturday morning. Well, look at that. So if you're in the Patreon group, you actually get our new special early. And they're going to get the entire thing. They'll be able to listen to the full edited, produced version on the podcast feed. Or they can hear all of the behind the scenes and deep thought that, uh, you know, what little little breaks that we cut out or trying to dig deeper on situations to to get better answers out of things or things like that. Um, You're going to hear the whole the whole raw cut on that there Patreon too. All the more reason yeah. to sign up today. Patreon.com slash good morning liberty. Live us that rating and review. If you guys do all of that, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning liberty.